Now in their second season, Leadership of Belief with more cigar knowledge and more leadership insights. Two great leaders smoking great cigars. Here's our host, Austin and Dice. Grab a drink and jump in with a cut and a light. Welcome to another episode of Leadership of the Leaf. My name's Austin. And I am Dice. And Mr. Dice, what are you smoking this evening? This evening, sir, I picked up a Kristoff garden rail. Did you, guardrail. Did, did you hear about that one? I'm pretty sure you did. You're a cigar guy. I did. I, did. I, I have heard of that one. <laughs> it pays homage to Glenn Case, who was the founder of Kristoff Cigars, who had mm-hmm. a motorcycle accident, which he actually hit a guardrail. Guardrail. <laughs> That's the only thing that saved him. That was the only thing that saved him. But what drew my attention more than his, his story, the band actually has like the facing of a motorcycle on it. So I know you're yeah. a band guy whenever... You pick one up, look at the band. It's pretty cool. Definitely, definitely. Uh, but it has uh, African tobacco in it for the filler. Zimbabwe, right? Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe and Dominican Republic are the fillers for the cigar. So interesting nice. stuff. Very nice. And uh, what Hennessy are you uh, bringing wood to the table? <laughs> I am bringing a oak smoked infused VSOP. Ooh, getting fancy with the smoke infusion. All right, yeah. Why not? Why not? I like it. (laughs) How about you, sir? What are we putting smoke in the air with today? I am smoking a Kristoff. Hey! Maduro. Oh. You had Uh me. Yeah, yeah. It was like, hi, then oh. <laughs> Set you up to dash your hopes quite spectacularly. <laughs> um, so it's got a Maduro wrapper and it's got a blend of Dominican and Nicaraguan long filler tobaccos with a Dominican binder. So I'm looking for a nice little peppery, kind of beefy type, um, earthy, espresso y, you know, flavor notes. So it's I'm, I'm interested in it. Uh, the band is very plain. I honestly don't know that I would have picked this up. This came in a sampler pack. Okay. Uh, and I don't know that I would have picked it up. The band is very plain. It almost looks like something out of the, like the Old West. <laughs> Yellowstone. Oh, I see. Yeah. I get it. Like, Yeah, like it's just very like sepia-toned. Sepia-toned. So. This motherfucker. Sepia-toned. Sepia? Sepia. Sepia. I don't know. Anyways, what's our cigar topic, Dice? No, 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 no. You're not getting off that easy, sir. With your sepia-toned cigar band, what are you yes, drinking with it? Oh, 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 yeah. What am I drinking? <laughs> oh. <Mother>. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, I went with a nice pulling station um, straight bourbon whiskey. So it is quite delicious. I've had it before uh, on this podcast and i decided to go back to it because i bought another bottle oh wait, you hear that look at that yeah yeah and you can tell by how much there's <laughs> left in the bottle how much i enjoy this i am looking at the bottle and it is uh near the near the bottom near empty yeah, yeah it's got about another glass in it and then it's done uh for our listeners i call that a uh, I need a new bottle yes 100 <laughs> percent Hundred percent would agree. All right, cigar topic. Dice, go. Ready? Cigar topic is cigar boxes. Those ornate Ooh. bastards that keep stacking up around the house. We're gonna talk about them. 
I like it. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I think I sent you a picture of was it EP Carrillo doing those super oh. 1776 numbered hand painted yeah. boxes Ooh. that looked like phenomenal. Amazing lacquer finish. Astounding. Uh, yeah, and then did you see the Mustra de Saka? Uh, was it the Negro unicorn or something like that? He put out another unicorn and it's in a black box and it's all like enameled and stuff. Wow, I have not. I will need to uh, Google. I, yes. I will need to look that up. I would say buy a box, but we both know the answer to that one. Yeah, good luck. Yeah. I, I ain't buying <laughs> didn't, a box. They didn't call it a unicorn for nothing. Exactly. So anyways, uh, for our leadership topic, getting off, getting off track here. <laughs> uh, leadership topic, we're going to talk about competition versus collaboration. Oh. Fighting versus working together. Fight, 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 fight. I'm down, I'm down. I'm down with it. <laughs> I will meet you in the streets, sucker. <laughs> but before we get that, we'll just go for our cigar, our cigar topic, which is cigar yes. boxes. And I actually like cigar boxes. Uh, you go into any humidor, like the one here in Vegas, the largest one on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, much respect to Uncle Roger. <laughs> You'll find 90% of the boxes, 90% of the cigars are displayed the same way, which is inside their cigar box. Yep. Uh, You know, the cigar box is appealing to the eye. It draws the attention and most commonly, what? I was say, keep keep things organized. Ah, very organized. uh, Proper, prim, neat. Yes. Looking good. (laughs) But overall, it protects the cigars, which uh, originally cigar boxes were used to protect cigars during transportation. But in more recent times, cigar boxes are involved into the utility to attract customers, celebrate special releases, and describe the cigars they contain. So, you know, I look at it as like I go to the arcade and look at the sides of the arcade and you're like, oh my God, that game looks amazing. And then you go play it. So I go inside like a kid in a candy store looking at all these cigar boxes and some of them just draw your attention more than others. Yeah. I've been to a, I've been to a brick and mortar and, uh, they had, they had shelf space. Right. But then I, I don't know if it was a work in progress or they just had overstocked stuff. Right. So, but at the end of like the tables, they had stacked boxes of cigars and like the top one might be opened or it might be closed. And so I asked them, I was like, what are you doing with these boxes of cigars? Are they like, you just selling these by the box? Are you selling them by the single? Like what's going on? They're like, oh no, no, no. We'll sell them by the box and the single. We just want to advertise with the boxes. I'm like, oh, that was very interesting. It was one of the more interesting ways to do it in a smaller humidor, especially when you got around to like a Placencia box. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, like a, uh, I don't know, some of the other boxes are relatively plain and just kind of sad, but like a Macanudo Inspirado. They're not super, yeah, Davidoff boxes. Well, Davidoffs usually have their own special display. Right. From what, from what I see. But have you ever really like sit down and looked at a Davidoff box? Come on, man. Those, those motherfuckers are just beige, beige, and plain beige. Yeah, well, it's like Liga Pravada. Oh yeah, just there's a box. Yep, there's a box. <laughs> um, you know, so and, and they're all right. Like, uh, I mean, 
the Leaf by Oscars boxes are nothing to nothing to write home about. Yeah, well, we'll get in that because Leaf by Oscar is more of a bundle. Um, but that's part of the notes. You'll see. You'll you shall see, my friend. Oh, I've already seen. Oh. But um, <laughs> yeah, currently box production is one of the limiting factors in the cigar supply chain. Some manufacturers have not have resorted to shipping guards to retailers in bundles hey, to cut down wait time. Think factory smokes. Uh, while cigar pack- packaging isn't something that most consumers knowingly seek out, they're a critical component of the pr- product cigar manufacturers put out. I have been, uh, I've heard and listened to many an interview with cigar retailers and cigar manufacturers and they're like, oh yeah, this box, it looks so good. Like it's got a really neat shade of like green and blah, blah, blah. And, or, you know, you get CAO and CAO boxes like are branded for their particular cigar, right? If it's the Brasilia yeah. box, it's it has a Brazilian flag on it and it's like a green box. It looks great. And then you start looking at like a, a punch box or something like that. It looks great. Well, I know these, these boxes... Um listening to because i heard quite a few interviews too but in in the opposite note i heard manufacturers like our cigars are ready to go we just don't have boxes for them right so i've I've heard it on both both sides but the amount of money and time some of these boxes these people spend on boxes like i will get more into it but i know some of them are ornate some have like little lights on them when you open them up yeah yeah. what you're spending the price of the box is going to translate to the cigar right of course and my thing is, is how many of these manufacturers, like, I, you know, and I, I asked this just, you know, gee whiz type thing. I obviously don't know the answer. I have to do some research. How many of these manufacturers um, ask or do a buyback program or something for their boxes, right? Let's say the, the cigar retailer has, they buy 50 boxes of Liga Pravada, right? Right. Boom. They sell 10 boxes by the box, and then the rest they sell by singles, right? So they used to have 40 boxes of Liga Pravada boxes that are just sitting around. And, you know, like, what, could Liga Pravada not get those back and repackage them and, like, you know, resend those out? Uh, recoup some of the cost, like, kind of like uh, old school when you return the bottles to the store, you get, like, a nickel. Yeah, yeah, something, something. I mean, there's got to be something they can do. I'm not saying like you know the staff, the tax stamps, and all this other stuff is something they can recoup and like redo. But shit, man, you should be able to sand down wood or something, and, like re- <laughs> you know, refinish it or something. You know, I agree. I 100% agree. I don't know if that's a thing. Maybe there's a company that already does it. They just, it's just not worth the time for the brick and mortar. I'm not sure. Because it's got to be cost effective on both ends. Because boxes, is, of course, they're going to require a storage space. So a lot of right. brick and mortars don't have that much storage space. And if right. they do have some, they prefer to keep product. Right. But if you have, let's just S and G this, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna think this throughout. We're going off on a tangent, so bear with me. <laughs> if you have a, a a broker or or a you know a retailer that has you know they got to order from somebody right the salesperson for that brand comes by yeah the regional region whatever the regional yeah. whatever could you not just say hey regional i have these boxes and the regional goes ah cool 
I will take these from you, put them in the trunk of my car, and drive them to a UPS, to our shipping facility or whatever, and we'll ship them back to Nicaragua DR, Costa Rica, Honduras, Nicaragua, wherever, and they will get reutilized. Like, I'm not saying that they have to do it all the time. I'm just saying, like, why, you know, there's got to be an ethical, easy way to do it. Makes sense on both sides. Correct. I would think so. Anyways, off okay. on a tangent. All right. Uh, most historians credit the Cuban manufacturer H. Upman with being the first to package cigars and boxes for shipment. This is done to protect the cigars, as I mentioned earlier, from damage during transport, like when they ship them on ships. Uh, this was done to protect the. Uh, this was also done as an added benefit for better humidification. So through throughout the years, a judgment has been credited for it. So when they were shipping from like Cuba or wherever on the boats and the ships, the cigar boxes again was used for protection. And of course, a judgment probably put a little stamp on there, and everybody's like, "Oh shit, I know that's good stuff." Right. Well, I mean, back in the day too, you know, before we really started getting into importing cigars it was mary joe and sally sue down the road at the farmers you know the farmers wives who were growing tobacco and they were rolling their own stuff and then shipping it out nobody knew what was good and what was bad and then hey that hey that's a brand oh that's a box oh look at that it looks all nice and pretty yeah i want that 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 gives me um the perception of quality correct boom, I'm going to go with that. And then the retailers could charge more. And then all these other brands started going, wait, you know, they could charge more. I, that means I could charge them more for my cigars and I can make more money. And here we are. Yeah. So you can imagine like before the Civil War times, uh, cigars was mostly tied up in small bundles before the boxes and stuff and then shipped uh, to other regions for sale. But eventually fame, uh, the boxes grew and grew like you was mentioning. And of course, now we have a problem because it was hard to keep track of how many cigars was going out. Damn taxes, man. <laughs> Due to that situation alone, yep. taxes. Imposed yep. taxes were needed to pack in wooden boxes and stamp that says taxes paid. Yeah. And after the Civil War, cigar boxes were everywhere in the U.S. Um, they were traditionally made from wood, particularly Spanish cedar, and they still are today. But tin, cardboard, and even plastic have been used. The entire box is usually finished with overlays of decorative embossed paper, emblazoned logos, seals, crests, whatever have you. Um, you know, the Macanero Inspirado whites, uh, I think they were in like a cardboard embossed cardboard box and what, yeah. with a bottom, little bottom of cedar. I remember my dad when I was, oh, I don't know, eight years old or something. He had a, a customer bring him a box of cigars or whatever, and so he'd smoked them all. And there are Arturo Fuentes, I remember this specifically. Um, and he just handed it to me, and it was literally just a, a shitty cardboard box <laughs> that had like just like a flip top on the top, and that was it. There was nothing else. Yeah. It was just plain as play could be. I mean, it had like all the painting of Arturo Fuente. It had the logos and blah, blah, blah. But it was just, I was like... Huh. It wasn't wooden. It was just straight cardboard. Yeah, back in my day, I think uh, I came across a King Edward, which I think is actually a machine manufactured cigar from the old school days. But that's showing my age. And we're moving on. 
Yep. <laughs> So, in 1863, legislation was passed that required cigar manufacturers to package their cigars in boxes. This was amended later on to require those boxes to contain either 25, 50, 100, or 250 cigars. That way, they could make sure the proper amount of tax was collected, but it has since been repealed, and I think it's actually been changed again, where you can't, once you put the number of uh, cigars in a box and you and you patent that you can't change the number of cigars in that box yeah uh, i think you're right i'm pretty confident yep but uh before we continue too much further are you in your for- first third i'm close enough close can, enough close enough i can talk about it mm-hmm. so uh, my first third of what I, I'm getting, as I, as I did before, is I'm getting earthiness. It's a very light earthiness with some hints of chocolate. And on the back end, which is actually, I want to say forefront, but it's definitely the back end of uh, allspice. Hmm. Okay. Part of my cigar has gone out, so I need to relight really quick. But I am getting... Uh, Earth, hmm, espresso, a little bit of cedar, and just a touch, touch of black pepper on the back end. It's a very good cigar. You know, you saying black pepper because I get the hint of allspice and I know what this is going to turn into, but I think Kristoff, I think he likes to put black pepper because we, I believe we smoked a Kristoff. You smoked one before. It was the I smoked a pissed off crystal, and I remember you were saying black pepper for that one too. So I, I think that's kind of maybe his little signature go-to. His little hints of black pepper sprinkle. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I'm I'm a black pepper guy. Like I enjoy it, you know, on on various foods and stuff. But this is a, a nice, just a touch finish. Nothing too spicy. Nothing too crazy. Just a nice dusting of it. Well, uh, tradition arranged in one of several distinctive ways one is a eight nine eight and i'm pretty confident you may have seen that on a few boxes i know i've seen it embossed before uh and essentially what that's saying is is there's various shapes and sizes of the box which is going to allow you to lay eight cigars on the bottom nine in the middle and eight on the top and if you you know you got a nice cigar manufacturer they put a little ribbon in there so you can lift them up yeah, some of them, if they don't have the ribbon, look for the cellophane that is flipped the opposite way from what it normally is. And that's the first cigar that you remove. Is that's that what eye. that's for? <laughs> hey. I'm kidding, I, I'm kidding. You'd be surprised the number of people. I'm like, yeah, I bought a box, but I had to like get a knife and try to dig them out. I'm like, did you did you see a piece of like cellophane that was flipped up? Like, yeah, I, I ended up picking that one up like two days later. I wonder why it was flipped the other way. I'm like, that's how you could get it out of the box first, and then it's easier to. Is it? Uh oh. Oh. <laughs> Light bulb. Eh, you're a jackass. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, no, yeah, everybody got to learn. So now they know. Now they're now you know. Because <laughs> knowledge is power. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Uh, flat top cigars are packaged in two layers and stacked on top of each other, traditionally with a top row of 13 and a bottom row of 12. Uh, recently, manufacturers have been experimenting with new presentations. 
couple of our favorites have been the Oliva 135th featuring eye-catching designs that display their cigars in unique ways. Have uh, you seen have you seen that one? I don't I have not I no, have yes, I, I have, I think. It's actually the, the box is carved out to fit uh, ten of the cigars. I, I think it's a pack of ten. And it's kind of like hollowed out just cigars that fit. Almost like if you used to remember the old school when you used to draw a turkey and you put your hand on the paper and draw the lines around it? Yes. That's pretty much what they did with the cigars. They fanned them out because it's not a typical oh, cigar yeah. shape. The Salomon or uh, 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 torpedo-ish shape. Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm, I pulled up the picture right now. Yeah, those, they're very interesting because they're fanned out. Right. It's perfecto. Perfecto shade. What I say, Solomon? Perfecto. Yep. Very interesting. Very interesting. I like it. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely an interesting type box. Uh, new, pr- different ways of presentation. Like if you see that sitting on a shelf in a, in a cigar store, uh, I would be like, "Ooh, what's that?" Yeah. Like that's new. That's interesting. Versus just shit t- stacked on top of brown sticks on top of brown sticks. Correct. Correct the moon, though. One we skipped over before you continue is a cabinet selection. And uh, I think uh, your Liga Privada. Yeah. And I know uh, some of the other brands where it comes in these like little, just whatever normal boxes that has that little slide lid to it. Yeah. Yeah, and those are just. <sighs> Those tend to be narrower and only have like four or five, and then they're just deep. Yeah. Um, and I just, I think that's a lazy way of doing it. It definitely is. Oh, I don't want to say if it's more economical or less economical, but it's just definitely more economical for the cigar uh, retailer because it doesn't take up as big of a footprint on their shelf, so they could put that plus something else. But yeah, uh, I just, I get more facing. Yeah, I'm just not a huge fan of it. Uh, I do know one of the more modern takes on the boxes is uh, like the Davidoff line or, or Crutch line. Is where yeah. the box is just like plain. It's very minimalistic. While it's the standard for manufacturing labor, their boxes with the name, cigar size, and even manufacturing dates has become increasingly popular for packaging to include a visual of tasting notes and strength level. Visual. Yep customers about uh what they're buying and serve to make the job of the brick and mortar just a little bit easier yeah i uh i ordered a box of um you know those macnado inspirado whites and when i opened the box out popped this little little tab that was kind of bent over and i flipped it down and there was all the tasting notes for the inspirado white so it was already like pre-packaged in the box. Like literally all all retailer would have to do was like open the box, flip that little tab down and like pinch it. So it uh, increase it. So it's just flip, facing out. Boom. There they go. Ready made for the shelf. Now, do you actually like read those things? Or do you acknowledge? I did read it. Some Sometimes uh, I think it's like gimmicky. Like, are you trying to sell me on a cigar? And the answer is yes, Dice. They are trying to sell you on a cigar. And I'm like, ah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's kind of nice because uh, 
especially if it's a newer brand or or the and the employees new we've both run into this where i'm like hey what does that cigar taste like and they're like oh i don't know i haven't gotten to that cigar yet or oh, i don't know yeah. and i'm like how do you you work at a cigar store like you would think that you would smoke something that just came in and like take hey let, boss let me buy like four of these things so i can go home i can really smoke it get the flavor notes that i want and and jot them down or something so i can like have it for when people come and ask me you know something oh yeah, yeah read, I would the, be, read the label i'd be excited yeah <laughs> like uh, when we putting that one out i, I want to try one now yeah um you know the cigar box is so instrumental to cigar manufacturers that several have integrated box factories into their organization placentia i talked about uh perdomo is another one um they maintain strict quality standards for the raw materials used as well as the finished product spanish cedar is obviously still the gold standard humidors are made out of spanish cedar um if you try to do a tupperdor i don't know of anybody who would recommend not to at least put a little bit of spanish cedar in the bottom um but that can be costly often adding as, as much as like two dollars to the cost of each cigar so for lower price cigars other woods like eucalyptus white oak yellow popper in addition to paper and cardboard like we've discussed are used um, some high-end boxes are still hand painted many manufacturers employ screen printing uh, to produce boxes more quickly uh, wooden boxes use a combination of lacquer and stain to bring out their natural beauty um, which I, I would agree with 100%. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things. Like, I enjoy looking at the box. Um, I will say I had a box of Oliva's, and the stain that they used was really, really quite beautiful. Um, the Oliva box was great. Uh, but at the end of the day, once I emptied out that Oliva box, I threw it in the trash. Did you really? I, ke I kept it for a little bit, um, and then... It, it got to be where the wife was like, why do we have this box if you're not using it for anything? I said, fair point, wife. I'll get rid of it. No, I'm not mad at that. Uh, I did keep one uh, that I had signed by Rocky Patel. I still have that one as the OB yeah, one. Yeah, if I had a, if I had a signature one, that. then that's fine. But, but I'm, just... I'm with you. I'm with you. Like, why am I keeping this? Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty. It was pretty, but I was just like, what? You know, and I, I don't know how many cigar groups, you know, there are out on Facebook and everywhere else, but I don't know how many times people have come, hey, what do you guys do with your old cigar boxes? Like, I have, like, stacks and stacks and stacks of these in my garage, and my wife hates them, and I just don't know what to do with them, but I don't want to get rid of them. What can you do to, with them? <laughs> Unless you're going to break them down and try to reuse the wood for something, there's not much to do with them. Well, I'm going to tell you what to do with them, little Bobby. You take that stack of boxes, you go down to your local brick and mortar, they'll give you a nickel for each box. See? <laughs> no, that's not true at all. But how cool give would me that five, be? Give me 5% off my next purchase. I'll take it. Shit, that's an empty box, it's trash. Give me 1%. Yeah, something. <laughs> oh man, cigar boxes. Well, here's something you can do with them, sir. Cigar boxes have become ubiquitous that they have gone on to serve secondary purposes. What? Going as far back as the Civil War, uh, cigar boxes were repurposed into fiddles and cigar box guitars were at a central part of blues movement during the Depression when many artists was too poor to uh, afford a traditional built guitar. Some famed artists as Ronnie Wood from the Rolling Stones. 
Paul McCartney. Beatles. Bill. Billy Gibbon. Billy Gibbon. Oh, ZZ Top. Yeah. Fucking loser. I I'm know. a loser. Not him. Me. Ed King from Lennon Skinner. Play some Skinners, man. Uh, have all have all played cigar box guitars. There's also a variety of art that can be made from these boxes. I mean, there's there's different things you can repurpose these boxes for, but to stack them up in your garage and let them sit there to become a fire hazard, uh, I disagree. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I would 100% disagree. Uh, some people try to sell them on eBay, uh, and I'll be honest, you don't really get much for them. Um, especially some of the bigger brands like Oliva, uh, the, the, the catalog brands, I call them. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. I mean, you, you can buy some of those boxes for super like cheap with cigars in them, you know, relatively <laughs> cheap. And then, you know, you have, you have the empty box of, of, uh, you have the empty cigar box and, you know, if you're not handy or you're not, uh, you know, woodworking inclined, you, there's nothing really that you can do. So, you know, you can try to repurpose them, give them away, do whatever, donate them to a wood shop. I don't know. Go, go to your local high school and donate them to the wood shop. <laughs> um, some other types of boxes are the, uh, the box press cigar boxes. They're usually just equal to the number of cigars stored in two different layers of a box. Um, and, and obviously there's, there's different boxes, labels, brands that are treated as subject of art. Several businesses are now specializing in cigar boxes, right? We just said, Hey, give them to your local, uh, high school wood shop, whatever. But there's some that are specialized in cigar boxes and are even books printed on their meaning, designs, and significance, uh, different shapes and unique designs, such as Adventura, the ship design, or the United Cigar Stadium series. Cigar boxes and the related labels can be considered a collectible item. Now, there was a box, oh, I think it won Cigar of the Year in 21 for somebody, and it was a humidor box. You remember what I'm talking about? I do I do know that some manufacturers have cigar humidor like boxes, but I don't remember which one you're referring Because I remember oh, some stuff like the, uh, not the Rose of Sharon, what's uh, fuck, I can't remember the name of it either. Romeo and Julieta. So some brands um, actually have their boxes become humidors. They package them in a humidor and then ship them out, which is kind of a nice way of doing it. Obviously, you're going to pay more for that because that's more cedar that they're they're putting out there. But I feel like that's a nice way to do it. Like if I got a box of cigars in, and let's say it's a hundred count box. Then and they say, "Hey, this is also a humidor." Oh, hey, at least I got a now a hundred count humidor for me, and I could use it as a nice desktop humidor or something like that, and make it, you know, re repurpose it a little bit easier than like a twenty five count box of Oliva or something that's just flat. Yeah, uh, I do know uh, Davidoff. They didn't really have a box for the Chef Edition. Uh, it was actually an ashtray with a, a cedar like lid for the ashtray that you can turn oh, over and hold drinks on top of that. But I mean, they're they're getting pretty fancy with cigar boxes because cigar boxes is just a sea of beige and brown now. So everyone is even uh, we was talking before the show the EP Creole and that uh, that is lacquered and hand painted for 1776, the Pledge of Allegiance. Yep. I mean that's that's amazing what these guys are doing now. Yeah, it's it's so nice that uh, 
I mean, obviously they have they have artists, right? You know, I, I blending. You'll never not convince me that blending cigars is a is an art. Um, so they have artists upon artists upon artists that are like, ooh, what if we did this? And they're just a creative type of of person. Um, so, yeah. Well, that leaves with the the last. No, although uh, sometimes they're taken for granted, cigar boxes are an integral part of cigar culture, which we. 100% talked about. So next time you're in a humidor, take a few moments, a few minutes, and, and look at the packaging. For products have uh, detail and craftsmanship that the cigar boxes endure. So if you actually like look at a cigar box, looking at the seams, some of them have dovetails, like the art, the artistry. Did I say that right? Artistry. Yep. Of some of these boxes, the way they're put together is it is clearly. A work of art especially when you spend a little money on something like i know uh what padron some of their boxes and stuff mm -hmm. you spend some money on these boxes they are very elaborate very fancy very ornate and they actually tell a story just with some of the paintings and stuff the hand paintings that some of these boxes endure yeah yeah and uh, i if i ever got a nice you know hand painted box or something obviously that's something that's collectible right that's a that's a keepsake item um, you know, it, there's so much detail and craftsmanship in these that are just so nice, but they're, you know, there's different boxes, labels, brands that are treated as a subject of art. You know, they have books printed on their meaning and designs and significance. Uh, you know, there's different shapes and unique designs like the Adventura, which had a ship design or the United Cigar Stadium series, which was a baseball stadium. Um, you know, cigar boxes and the related labels could be considered a collectible depending on which one you get. You know, now if you just go, hey, I'm going to go buy a, a box of uh, Leaf by Oscar. And it's just like kind of a bundle loosely packed in some rough, like loose tobacco leaves that have like barely a box or something, then, you know, maybe that's not necessarily a collectible item, but correct. You know, you go get, you know, these, um, Mushidesaka black unicorns. Uh, yeah. That's a, that's some nice shit right there. Like <laughs> yeah, I I'm going to hold box. on to that. Yes. hundred percent. Uh, you and your second, third, I will be right after a break. Sounds good. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick <laughs> break and we'll be right back. Break it, break. Check me out, guys, on um, on Instagram at Flavor King uh, with two G's on there. And it's been a pleasure listening to Leadership of the Leaf here with Dyson Austin. All right, welcome back. We just had a quick little break. Enough time to assess the situation so you can tell all our listeners about your second mm. third. <laughs> Gets me while I'm taking a puff. Um, <laughs> the earth is still there. Uh, cedar has kind of come out. And that black pepper is coming out more towards the more towards the forefront. There's a leathery component to it. It's very good. So far, it's really good. Well-balanced. Good cigar. Yeah, uh, my pepper has definitely built up in the second half. Uh, so that allspice moved to more of a black pepper tone, which we was talking about before. Um, but it's not uh, overtly intensive. And, and, and 
an intense blast of pepper because it's also like a mix of creaminess that uh, that blends with it. So it's like a blast of pepper with the creaminess to finish it off to balance it. Yeah, that's, that's what nice. I'm trying to say. Well, semi said. <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> Good enough. All right. So we, before the break, we were talking about cigar boxes, which are so everybody just talks about boxes, right? That's they're they're ingrained in in cigar culture, if you will. Correct. Um, and now we're going to get to our leadership topic: uh, competition versus collaboration. You know, dice. There's a saying. What's that saying, want, sir? If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with the team. When I read that saying, I immediately thought of uh, uh, Tough Mudder. I went with a Tough Mudder with uh, Linderbob and crew. They left me, so I was alone. <laughs> so yeah. they got far. I was going fast, but they got far. How they got far? There's obstacles. Anybody ever did a Tough Mudder? There's lots of obstacles. You need a buddy or friend to help you over a wall or through mud or whatever the, whatever you're going through. They were a group that left me. Uh, I was going slow. I had a knee injury. But besides that, uh, going alone, I was, uh, I, I assume I was going fast, but I wasn't going very far. So I had to team up with people throughout the way, which helped me along. And without the team, I wasn't able to make it as far as I did. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, definitely, definitely one of those things where. You know, uh, it's a collaboration effort to make sure everybody finishes the line because uh, then it's just not fun. It's nobody, you know, you want to finish first. That's always there, you know, right? You know, human behavior is innately competitive, right? That goes all the way back to our, our caveman days. If I kill something and drag it back to my cave or if I gather something and I take it back to my house or hut or whatever the place is, right? That's a resource that I now have that you don't have that now I'm going to be able to survive with this food and you're not because I have something that you don't. Right. Uh, I mean, I equate it, uh, I don't have any siblings, but I equate it to fighting with siblings for that last piece of chocolate cake or the caveman fighting for the last zebra leg. I don't know whatever fucking caveman eat. Uh, teams are individuals at, at sports. Of course, sports is definitely competitive just by nature alone. Right. Uh, Rushing to buy that one it toy for Christmas, the pre-sale yep. tickets for the Black the Friday must go to concert, Black Friday sales, even uh to job interviews. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I grew up with siblings and it was very, you know, always very competitive. Uh teams, you know, they always say there's no I in team. And they're like, wait, nope, yes there is. It's in the A-hole. Have you ever <laughs> seen that? Yeah. <laughs> um, wait, you know. Wait, I found it. Yeah, uh, you look at look at the fucking craziness that is surrounding a Taylor Swift concert. Oh, I, the I Swifties, T Swift. I'm just saying, like, that her tickets are going crazy. I mean, Beyonce's tickets went a little bit crazy too, and everybody. Oh, I gotta go to see this movie. Oh, I gotta go see this concert. Oh, I gotta do this, this is a once in a lifetime event. Everything is once in a lifetime. Uh, just yeah, throwing that out there to anybody and everybody. Everything is once in a lifetime. Well, stuff like that naturally brings out that competitive nature. Right, of course. Um, but some advantages, you know, there's competition, area competition that can produce 
uh, in the workplace. Um, you know, advantages of competition that, you know, there's innovation competition, competition sometimes will encourage people to seek out ways to beat their competitors, thus implementing new processes or using new technology to reach their goals faster. Um, I kind of, I don't want to say new innovation, but, uh, or, or motivation, right? So then there's the highly competitive environment can push you out of a comfort zone and be a strong motivator to excel in your work compared to your colleagues as you push to go that extra mile at work. Uh, back in the early industrial revolution days, right? There was people who, who studied um, teams and leadership and management styles and they said, hey, what if we implement a incentive-based pay, right? So if I produce 10 widgets, I, you know, I got paid more than the guy that produced eight widgets. Boom, there's competition. And, you know, so now my car, now he wants to go, wait, he got paid more than I did. Oh, I got to produce 10 widgets. Well, I don't want him to get more paid more than I do because I'm a competitive person. I'm going to produce 12 widgets. But then at a certain point, you start sacrificing quality for quantity. Right. Uh, as you were saying that with that competition, your scenario described that's improved performance. The combination of strong motivation and adopting new ways of working can push your limits and improve your performance in the workplace. However, competition with your colleagues wears you out. It's simply not a sustainable strategy if you want strong employee retention and great company culture. Internal competition cannot yield long-term success and, and is why. The, when it comes to internal competition, like when I say here is why is the stress level of me always trying to one up you with the competition. Eventually, I'm aware myself out. As you said, the quality is going to go down because my quantity is going to go up. My whole goal is not to make something amazing. My whole goal is just to make a lot of little somethings. Yeah, if they're amazing. Out. Cool. Yeah, I'm just the more I pump out, the more money I get. So the, the stress level, uh, a healthy dose of competition can be motivating, but too much Competition in the workplace can be stressful. With stress comes absent disengagement and poor team relationship. Yeah, I mean, and you're, you know, you talked about it. You know, if you if you don't, it's not a sustainable strategy. If you want great company culture, a lot of competition usually leads to toxic work culture. Um, right. You know, there's less learning opportunities when you compete with your colleagues. There's no opportunity to learn from them, right? Right. If I'm, if you're coming in and you're top dog making 20 widgets and I come in and I'm like, Hey man, could you teach me? You're not going to teach me all the secrets to your success because you don't want me to sit there and beat you. So you're going to have to, uh, so you want to teach me just enough to make me, you know, Hey, you know, I trained you. Yeah, I did my job. Cool. Go away now. And I'm going to have to figure out on my own how to keep up and how to make sure I make enough widgets to feed my family or whatever. And then you have that lack of trust. You know, it's incredibly important for successful workplaces to have trust. Um, it makes you feel secure, you know, and in such an environment, you can allow yourself to be creative, innovative, and ultimately lead to a more prosperous end result. Well, it also can lead to lack of trust, like you were saying, but uh, less diversity and inclusion. So uh, research shows that men are less fearful of risk and inherent to competition because that's what men do. We go out, we hunt, we gather, right? Right. I mean, it's in our nature. 
while women rather avoid competition where normally uh, they go out and hunt. Normally all the women are still at home around the campfire raising children. I'm not being uh, sexist. I'm just saying how our genetic was made up from the beginning. Therefore, encouraging competition in the workplace can lead to poor diversity and less inclusion. Now, if I was to take just the men and women aspect out of the scenario to where you were saying you can build 20 and I can build 10 and I ask you how to do it and you pretty much tell me to fuck off. I mean, that's less diversity and less inclusion. You're not including me in with this whole scenario to where uh, I'm still going to be stuck building 10. Maybe I can get up to 11 because you don't want to share. You don't want to diversify your knowledge. Get good, scrub. <laughs> exactly. Um, so you got to think, how, how can we reposition our competitiveness so it becomes mutually beneficial? So instead of compete, competing with your peers who have unique strengths and skills that benefit the wider team, implement competitiveness through key performance indicators or, or a similar framework for your goals. These metrics could be something small, such as your content output per month or a large goal like customer acquisition or retention clientele when your competitive behavior focuses on successes through continual improvement there's no losers there's only winners and and you know you i see it a lot of times where teams will compete against other teams right the the sales branch at the chicago brand at the chicago company will compete in sales with the Las Vegas branch of the company, right? So now I have these, you know, these two sales forces trying to compete, trying to get bigger fish and bigger and bigger and bigger, and they're trying to compete. Uh, it's not anything bad. It's a healthy competition because they don't really have any interaction other than, you know, maybe an email or an IM, a ha 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 shit talk, whatever. But at the end of the day, the company is winning because las vegas is in a completely different region than chicago so now there's no way to overlap clientele and your business is just is just going to grow right uh i also like to uh have the the competitive nature of uh competing against what i did before yeah uh, i know when i practice uh basketballs i shoot free throws i shoot 100 free throws one week i make 50 of them next week i want to make more than i did the week previous you know, I just want to better my, I'm, I'm not competing with anyone in particular. I'm competing with that number I did last month, I'm competing yeah. with that number I did last year. So I know a lot of sales tracking and everything. If you ever been in a boardroom and you see a lot of times I have a red line and a blue line or two different color lines. And one line is with the sales from last year and the other line is the sales from this year. Then it also has the variables of what was different from that year. Oh, it was COVID during that time frame. So this is why. So you can kind of compete with whatever your sales were the previous. So going against your KPIs, your key performance indicators is also another competitive way to where you're not really pitting your people to be cutthroat with their other fellow teammates. Yeah, competition's not inherently bad. It just does have that tendency to hold us back from achieving a greatest potential because it can be disruptive. Um, you know, if I compete against myself, um, I, I've done it before where I've competed against myself and, and un, unbeknownst to me, somebody was trying to compete against me and all I was trying to do is compete against myself and they got really mad and it was frustrated with me and they're like, I, I just can't believe you would do that to me. And I was like, do what to you? What are you talking about? <laughs> and they're like, well, I was trying to race you on this and then you, know, you did something and walked off and had to take an air of another problem. And 
he didn't take the race seriously. I was like, we, I didn't even know we were racing. I was competing <laughs> against myself. I've done it before. Hey, you have 12 hours to fix this problem. Got it, boss. I'm going to do it in 11. Next time, I'm going to do it in 10 and a half. I want to get to the best number that's physically possible and, and maintain consistency at that level. Well, I mean, healthy comp- we even comp- com- competed against each other before. Um, yeah. And I mean, there was no hard feeling. There was no anything. It was just really just more of a training asset. OJT, like on the job training tools that was utilized. You wanted, you was good at your your craft and I was good at my craft and we was just trying to see who's not better at the craft, but who can actually perform the craft uh, quicker. Cause yeah. I wouldn't say I'm any better than any other person. I just, or maybe I've been doing it a little bit longer. So friendly competition, it, it's okay. Uh, too much can be unhealthy. Like if we did that same task every week, just competing back and forth back and forth i don't know maybe i'll grow tired yeah and it's gonna it's gonna start to erode trust because then i'm gonna start getting frustrated um by either uh, unfair competition or being like man i gotta go up against this motherfucker who you know is just better than i am and this is bullshit and i hate this fucking company i hate this job and i'm gonna leave well now you just lost somebody good you know, even if I was producing nine widgets and, and Dice was producing ten, you know, and I'm still losing, like, I'm going to be like, nah, fuck this. I can go to this other company where they only want me to produce eight as a team together and they're happy and they're making the same amount of money that I am. This is mm-hmm. bullshit and I don't have to worry about this. Boom, I'm going to go over. Now you just lost a great producer because of competition. Well, collaboration is the other. Uh, side of this whole battle and there's five reasons why well there's more than five but uh five reasons why collaborating instead of competing is a good uh for the team for business you know fit in whatever you like there and the first one is exposure in front of different audiences your competitors do not have the same exact audience as you yes they may have some overlap but they have email subscribers instagram followers facebook fans they may uh, they may not they may not know everything about your business, but if both of you team up on the on the same forefront, then you may pull some of their customers, or they may pull some of your customers. But I mean, as essentially, collaborating can be a great way to uh, get your business in the front of different audiences that may not know your brand because they only know brand X and your brand Y. Um, you know, we can see many times during uh, webinars where people that may seem like they would be competitors, they partner up and expose their business brand to a whole new audience. So like these TED Talks and all kinds of different uh, conventions and stuff that come up, a lot of times the competitors have the same stage. They're talking the same thing, but they're representing a whole different brand just to appeal to a wider audience because maybe not everybody, maybe not everybody knows about Tesla. Maybe right. they only know about Pulsar or Rivian. Like, oh, Tesla, this is amazing. So it just opens opens the eyes up for your competition to team up better for a collaboration of the gather a bigger audience. Right. Yeah. I mean, you could see that now. Tesla opened up its just to, just to use Tesla, right? They opened up their charging their charging plug, and. Uh, for use by everybody else and like three ma- I don't want to say major two major and one newer company 
have started uh, using their their charging ports. Ford, GM, and Rivian have all stated that they're going to go over to the Tesla standard. That's a collaboration effort. And now, because of those, now all these other companies that are... um, energy distributors so to speak they have they have the charging infrastructure like charge point blink uh, yeah. the people who who make the cabinets that provide the the electricity right they're all going oh well we'll support that charging standard as well we'll start making plugs to go with that and we'll start making our hardware fit that stuff so just open the door to make everybody better you know obviously there's gonna be holdouts but like just because those few people are doing that they're like oh you know, now for now Ford people, hardcore Ford people are like, oh, I didn't realize Tesla was like this. Now maybe I go explore Tesla or, you know, hey, uh, Tesla, a hardcore Tesla person is like, oh, GM and Ford have that. Maybe I'll go explore their brands, too. I don't I don't feel trapped by this one plug or whatever the case happens to be. Um, so it's just it's definitely interesting. A rising tide raises all ships. Right. Um, and, and people like supporting supportive people, right? That's number two. If you knew a business you were buying from had a jerk as an owner, would you still buy from them? Would you still buy from them if somebody was selling that is selling a similar product was the nicest person you'd ever met? No, I wouldn't. If I walked into, if I walked into McDonald's, right? Let's just say, let's just use something for everybody. If I walked into a McDonald's and their customer service was so shitty, which is, I've done this before, their customer service was sh- so shitty, I was like, I, don't, I'm i not even buying from you anymore. And I walk out, and I go right across the street, right next door to a Burger King, and I, the, I walk over to a Burger King, and they're the nicest people I've ever met, and their customer service is great. Uh, hell yeah, I'm gonna spend my money there. And, and, you know, uh, maybe I go try McDonald's again. And then I like, oh, you're the guy that walked out of me to go to Burger King. Yeah, because you guys were dicks. Yeah. You know, what do you want from me? I'm not buying from somebody who I don't, I I can't get along with. I I like a salesperson. I like somebody to try to sell me things. And usually that involves being personable, right? Customers like supporting supportive people. Your followers will notice if you're collaborating with other businesses and that's going to reflect positively on you, right? Just to use us as an example, we collaborated and interviewed Sticks and Stones, Wanda Hernandez, right? Yep. Both. Now, I, I, I had a great time with that interview and I will be happy if I ever see her, stick, her Sticks and Stones brand in a, in a brick and mortar or online or something that I can get, I'm absolutely going to buy it, hands down. I know she's a nice person. She's an amazing human being. Boom, buying it from her, versus somebody who I don't know or I've you know ha- I heard an interview and they're like kind of standoffish and dickish. I'm not going to go to that person. To that point, Glenn Case for Christoph Cigars, nicest person from what I can tell that you'll ever meet. Yeah. I'm not you know if I found out Nick Perdomo was a dick, I'm probably not going to buy Nick Perdomo stuff. I'll probably go buy some Christoph stuff. Yeah. I can definitely see that. Uh, I know the wife and I, we have a list of places where we'll never go back to. And when I say we'll never go back to, we will never go back to. Uh, it's small in stature, but I mean, it holds a standard to uh, our ability to say that, hey, 
we weren't happy with their service. We wasn't happy the way we were treated in this establishment. So we will never go back. There's plenty of other competitors out there to go to for you to be this way. So because you act that way, we'll never go to your establishment again. I'm not going to share the names of the companies on, on air. But Austin, I think you know a few. Uh, but we just will never go back to these type places again. Uh, the competition is out there is vast. The competitors yeah. is out there. The collaboration of some of these other companies is great. So why would I spend my money with a clown? Right. I mean, that's what kind of what Yelp was built on, right? Is is yeah. customer reviews. So if I go to a, co- a company, and nine times out of ten the reviews are correct, right? You know, I look at the ratings, and if I go to a re- like a, just a restaurant, right, and I go to a new area, and I'm like, ooh, what's the what's the Yelp score? What's the Google review? How many stars did they got? Right, it, you know, if they have a two-star rating, and I start reading, and they're like, "These guys are dicks. The food tasted horrible. Whatever." I'm like, "All right, they must know what they're talking about." I'm gonna go t- to some other competition. Correct. The more minds, the better. Two brains are better than one. When two great minds come together, extraordinary things can happen. Consider the value you can offer your audience by working together with another business instead of competing. You do not necessarily have to go to business someone else, but you can develop a project or a product together that you both can promote to your audience. You can make a much bigger impact collaborating with another business versus doing it all on your own. And the cigar industry is a perfect example of that. How many collaborations of cigars have you seen? Uh, too yeah. many to count. Too, exactly. Did you know that Acid and United had a cigar together? Yeah. Yeah, I did not know that. I had to read it and I was like, oh, they have a cigar together that's banned, two cigars on one band, so you can buy it and share it with someone that's called Amigo, Acid Amigo, by United Cigars and teamed up with Drew Estate. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at some of these uh, some of these other companies and they're like, hey, uh, this this company actually gets produced by this company's factory, um, you know, or or whatever, like um damn i'm trying to remember one i got i just went blank but there's so many so many instances of like oh yeah we blend for that that company they kind of tell us their vision and what they're looking for and we collaborate and then we make their cigars and then they band them and sell them boom ep creo and perdomo i think it was yeah i think that i think you're right yeah so it it's yeah two minds are definitely better than one um, I, I will say it's more costly to do it that way because then you have to come to consensus. You have to take everybody's opinions into account and blah, 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 blah. But you usually end up at a better decision overall than if you would have just said, fuck it, I'm going to make this my own and, and go about it that way. Well, I'll look at it this way. I may have widget A and B you have widget one and two uh widget a and b they kind of work i'm i'm doing okay you're doing okay but if i had widget one and a together now we're talking now we got something buddy yeah i've i've often said uh you know if mcdonald's and burger king ever merged i would want i'd want burger king's burgers with mcdonald's fries And a Wendy's Frosty. <laughs> and a and a Wendy's Frosty. <laughs> I, I mean, 
like let's be let's be honest like if you could have all the you could walk into one store and have all of that all at once from the same place how happy would you be <laughs> how happy would your wife be Ugh. yes um <laughs> Another point is you cannot do it all alone. Even if your business is thriving, you're going to get to a point where you can't do it alone. You're going to need some help. In addition, that help can come from someone that runs a business that's similar to yours. Um, perhaps you could collaborate with another business to offer a service together instead of offering services separately. Um, or maybe you could just use each other as a sounding board to bounce ideas and get inspiration. You don't want to go through business ownership alone and you shouldn't have to. Plenty of people who would want to collaborate with you, you just have to find the right ones who aren't dicks. But <laughs> if you had, um, I met a guy and this was the funniest thing to me. So the guy was an insurance adjuster and his dad owned a construction repair business. I was like, if that's not the biggest racketeering thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Cause he was like, yep. And he would quote it to, he would talk with it. He's like, yeah, I just go. And I'd look at it and I know what my dad would charge for that stuff. And usually he's like, already it's it's cheaper than what most everybody else offers. He's like, but I pay over that um, as an adjustment because I got to go with the market median. And, and then they ask, you know, who would you go through? I give them a list with my dad's as the top name. And nine times out of 10, they call my dad and he gets, the, you know, he gets the business <laughs> or whatever else. And I'm like, that is the biggest racketeering bunch of bullshit, but it's a collaboration. It works great. The insurance adjuster gives you a list of people. You don't have to call his dad. You can have a little list of people, but his dad closes the deal, right? He starts it, his dad finishes it. They both profit off of it and everybody is happy, you know, and, and nobody nobody gets, you know, over, dragged over <laughs> the coals or anything. Well, that's perfect because the next step is to grow your business. Collaborating is like borrowing sugar from your neighbor. You ask for some sugar and they do you a favor by giving you some. The following week, you notice that uh, their car needs a jump. So you help them out with some jumper cables. Uh, I'm an insurance adjuster and I'm helping you out. So here's my father. He's also going to help you out. It's collaborating. It's perfect. It gives and take relationships where you can help each other out when you need help the most, which is exactly what collaborating can do for your business. So yeah. that works out great. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many times I've gone out to my neighbor and I'm like, do you need help cutting your yard? I, I noticed it's getting a little long. I'm not trying to be a dick, but do you need help? Like, they're like, oh my gosh, yes. I need so much help because I have a sick kid and I just can't get to it right now or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, 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 no problem. It takes me, I'm already cutting mine. Well, it's another yard, it's another 20 minutes or whatever to cut your yard um boom cut cut it both and call it a day no big deal and uh and then next time you know they i'm like hey man i really need somebody to watch my kid while me and the wife our babysitter just backed out and they go oh i can help you out with that and i'm like oh you're the greatest yeah you cut my yard for me i could least i could do is watch your kid for you for a couple hours oh thank you so much boom right there collaboration everybody wins we all end up happy at the end of the day correct what what more could you want right exactly i mean a million dollars but right so austin the natural question because we talked about competition we talk about collaborating the natural question is can't we do both yep 
Of course we can do both. Yeah, so there's an analogy. Here's an analogy, right? A wolf pack collaborates to hunt, and once the hunt's complete, they compete for the flesh, with the alpha taking the bigger bite. So organize, organizations should recognize both competition and collaboration as forces with each each with its place in the relevant context. The best teams encourage both. Leaders of teams should collaborate with their peers to compete against the industry and outside competitors. Um, and one of the key things to keep in focus is that the collaboration is not about leveling the playing field, so to speak. It's about helping each person perform to the best level and achieve success for the company as well as themselves. Um, so collaborative uh, environments are those where employees not only work together but also constantly compete with themselves and the outside companies to execute ideas and become better every single day so i i 100 we can have both yeah well i I look to the that analogy that's at the beginning of this the wolf pack right so let's say there's two wolf packs so now the the main wolf pack is like we're going to take this which they're competing with the other wolf pack. So they win and they take down the zebra antelope or some shit like that. Now there's five wolves in the wolf pack. The, now they're going to fight amongst each other. Who's going to get the best piece or the biggest piece? So they work together to go in and take it down, defeating their competition because they got the antelope first. And now amongst themselves, they're going to feed on who gets the bigger piece. Yeah. So I, I love that analogy. Yeah, I mean... You know, if I look at it kind of like this, like if I'm competing with another another company or, you know, I'm, I'm going to use the best minds of my company to compete with another company, right? Let's say we, we do end up beating them and we perform a merger or something like that. Well, now I want to take the best of their people and the best of my people and keep taking down the down the competition and keep collaborating within my own company to take down my competition. I'm going to use the best that I can to do the job to take down the competition, get the biggest market share, get the best sales numbers, um, you know, whatever the case is, um, you know, and, uh, and go from there and then, and then worry about everybody else within my organization, make sure they all get fed as needed. Um, a great example of that is would, let's let's take it to the tobacco industry, the cigar, the premium cigar industry. Mm-hmm. Rick and mortars within a state, they get together to go uh, fight City Hall or the White House with all these rules and laws and regulations that they have. They work together to uh, get tax ca- uh, caps on taxes and stuff like that as a collaboration effort. But once they have achieved that goal working against the taxes and stuff, now they go back to the individual brick and mortar stores and now they're competing against each other, but they work together to uh, against all this tax brackets and everything that is going on. So, I mean, it's a collaborating effort, but they're still competing once it gets down to uh, their level to where everyone is on the same page. But it's not about leveling, but it's about trying to achieve the same goal. Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, there's inherently big... Um, big shops within a city, right? You know, you go to the, the cigar outlet versus the tobacco leaf, right? They're one's big, one's small. Um, they both want the same thing. They want to cap the taxes on, on tobacco sales. But after they win that battle, 
they're going to go back to their respective businesses and go, ah, oh, we won this. All right, cool. Now, how do I position myself to take out the bigger competition? And the bigger competition's saying, how can I position myself to make sure the smaller competition doesn't come up from behind? And how can I take a bigger chunk of the market share? Collaboration is a central way to achieve success, whether it's in your personal or professional life. Working together as a team can lead to more innovation, ideas, and solutions that can help you reach your goals faster. Collaboration allows for sharing of knowledge and skills, leading to more and well-rounded approach to problem solving. Yeah, so there's a story, um, I was just reading about it. It happened oh, a couple of years ago. Um, the airline industry was, the there's an increase in international travel, right? Tourism, businesses, the like, right? Global communities getting larger. So there's an increase in international travel. So, so companies were wanting to pick up more international trade routes. Well, there's no, or international routes, but there's no routes to fly, right? The skies are already like basically at max capacity. So what they decided is they, hey, we need a bigger plane to ferry more people at one time. So Boeing comes out, there's Boeing and you have Airbus. So Boeing comes out with their 787 like Supermax, right? They have, they have like three choices. Modify an existing plane to carry more people collaborate with Airbus to potentially make an even bigger plane and, or um, just design their own bigger plane. So they tried to work with Airbus, um, didn't work out. Airbus didn't want, uh, Boeing didn't want to work with Airbus. And so Airbus had to come out with their biggest plane that they could that carries like 700 passengers. And uh, Boeing came, had modified their stuff to carry like 675 passengers or some shit. And so they ended up not collaborating and competing, but I, you know, I kind of wonder what would have happened if they were able to collaborate on one aircraft, a Boeing Airbus collaboration plane, maybe they would have been able to carry 900 passengers or a thousand. Yeah. Uh, pardon the pun, but sky's the limit. Uh, ha, ha. <laughs> But today's fast-paced world competition is usually seen as the only way to succeed. However, if they work collaboratively with others, um, they can offer numerous benefits just about, uh, beyond just achieving success. They can, that can, collaboration can help build stronger relationships between people, organizations, and usually foster positive change in communities. Uh, so therefore, it's important to consider collaboration as an effective way of achieving success rather than solely relying on competition. That's our nature, so that's what we usually fall back on, right? Right. But by doing so, we open ourselves to new opportunities if we collaborate. We open ourselves to new opportunities, diverse perspectives, and experiences that ultimately lead us to our desired outcomes. And usually, it's better for the mass market if people collaborate, right? If... Um, I, I, I'll go to the cell phone industry, right? Yeah. I, Apple has not changed their shit in I don't know <laughs> how many versions. They've, they've made minor changes and still remain the top leader. However, Samsung is way more innovative, right? Look at the Galaxy Z Fold 3, right? Yeah. And I looked at that thing, I was like, man, that is a sweet-ass phone. If it came as an Apple, I'd be all over it. Or I came with Apple's hardware software because Apple usually has the best software. Fight me if you will. Apple has better <laughs> software. 
um, you know, then I would be all over that sort of phone. Um, but Apple is getting comfortable where they're at. They're kind of leveling off. And meanwhile, uh, Samsung and Android phones are still trying to catch up with them. And then you got the Google Pixels and the Microsoft phones, which I don't even count anymore. <laughs> but the innovation of that Samsung phone is, is actually very amazing. The wife ha- actually has one. And compared to my Apple phone, it, it does wonders. But there's certain aspects of my Apple phone that just really kind of blows that one out of the water. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so just imagine a world where if they collaborated. Exactly. I mean, for, <clears throat> you know, you can <clears throat> look at it as, uh, you know, going to the car industry. Ford is always on the leading edge of technology, right? You look at some of their new vehicles, and I'm not talking electric vehicles, I'm talking just regular vehicles. Um, they have some of the nicest, best new technology that has ever, you know, been seen. And they're all, I'm like, man, that is so nice. That's super nice. I can't believe that thing isn't more widely adopted. Meanwhile, GM is like sitting back waiting on that that stuff to be tested and work out the bugs and then they put it out a couple years after Ford and Ford's already moved on to something else. Um, and, and, you know, GM usually has it a little bit more reliable. So what if they had collaborated and Ford introduced the new product, GM refined the product and they put it into one car and sold that? Yeah, that, that collaboration would be, uh, that'd be a win-win for almost everyone involved. It'd be a win-win for both the, uh, of course, the car, the auto industry, and as the consumer, we would definitely have a win-win situation for us as well because of the innovation that the car would actually have. Yeah. So just focus on winning, only winning, then competition is usually the right way to push yourself ahead. But if you really, really, really want to make an impact on whatever industry, market, whatever you're in, you have to work with others. There's some way, some come up to something and the opportunity is going to present itself to go, hey, what if we collaborated with our competitor? They're reaching out. Hey, I got widget A and B. They got widget one and two. I need a 1A or a 2B or something. I want to make that that thing and they're offering to collaborate. Why would... I, I have a question, sir. Hmm. Are you in your final third? Uh, just about. What about you? I am in my final third, and I'm ready to tell you that this wonderful cigar that I am smoking, the guardrail, is very slight. It's still there. I can still taste that pepper. The creaminess is kind of drying out a little bit. Uh, the cedar is sweet, and I want to say cocoa because it's kind of drying out. I would say it's like a dryish kind of cocoa, you know, like the kind you put in milk. Yeah, kind of, it kind of has that uh, flavor tone to it to me. Uh, but this is a, a wonderful smoking cigar. My burn is kind of uh, deteriorating a little bit on me, but I maybe I dropped it. I'm not sure. It had a little crack on it. I don't remember dropping it. Maybe my kid was playing with it. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm not going to hold that against it because uh, this is, like I said, I smoked this one before. Uh, the burn line is excellent. It's a good cigar. Nice. Yeah. This one is um, an earthy, leathery kind of cedar in the back with cedar in the background. There's a slight pepper finish, but nothing overpowering. But it's it's definitely a good cigar. It almost has a beefy quality to it at the end. Um, 
this is a very very good smoke and like i said had i not gotten this in a in a pack i probably would not have been i probably wouldn't have drawn to this cigar um other than the fact that it's a christoph and you know and christoph's usually a pretty good brand um i probably wouldn't have been like i would have tried it eventually but this wouldn't have been the first go-to cigar for me same. I, I'm pretty confident if you was at a brick and mortar and your cigar you're smoking the Christoph Maduro was right beside the Christoph Guardrail, I almost guaranteed you would pick the Guardrail up over that Christoph uh, Maduro just you because of the band. Guarantee it? Guarantee! Sir Charles. <laughs> guarantee it because the, the band on this one is definitely sh it's a shiny silver. It's yeah. a little more ornate. It definitely will catch your eye more than the one that you're currently smoking. Well, I mean, the fact that they're both Kristoffs, right? <clears throat> and they're both a Maduro-esque blend and, and color, right? Right. I would probably look at it and go, yeah, that's just a regular Maduro, but that's a guardrail. Let's, I'm going to try the guardrail first, and then I'll eventually come back to the Maduro, knowing full well that it could take me years to get back to the Maduro. Yeah. Unless we was doing a special Maduro episode and you was like, oh, I got to get this anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so we talked about, uh, you know, cigar boxes and we got to talk about competition versus collaboration. I think used correctly. And the problem is that a lot of managers, leaders don't use it correctly, right? They always say, oh, let's introduce some healthy competition. We're going to give a bonus to the best salesperson or the best sales team or the best whatever. And and they they completely disregard the other teams in, that work for them, right? So if they, uh, oh, well, we're going to just give it to the best salesperson. Okay, cool. What about the accountants? What about yeah. the HR folks? What about anybody else that doesn't do sales? Do they get a say? Do they get to, comp to compete? Because if not, then it's not really fair to them and I'm not saying competition has to be fair I'm just saying maybe if you said hey I'm gonna organize you guys into a couple salesperson with an accountant with a, an HR team and I'm gonna compete against the team uh, and the teams and the best team wins uh, I don't know an extra $500 bonus at the end of the quarter okay sure that's a healthy competition right because it's gonna pull the, the what essentially what you're trying to do, especially in the leadership scope of that aspect, is you're trying to pull the team together. And like you said, all tides rises ships. Uh, so having a team collaboration effort against another team A versus team B, I mean, as long as you don't overdo it, it can definitely be a healthy competition. But what happens is uh, some managers or some leaders at some positions, they see such great results when they did it the first month, so let's do it the second month and the third month and the fourth month and the fifth month. And what essentially is going to happen is there's going to be burnout of the teams that always come in last place or yeah. the two top teams are now going to uh, essentially become more cutthroat to where they're hiding stuff from uh, everyone else or they're doing, uh, you know, underhand deals just to try to make that sale happen. Right. And then so I'm a big shake. I'm a big proponent of uh, shaking up the teams in that situation. Right. So if I'm going to if <clears throat> if I'm going to make a team out of all my people maybe i'll do it for <coughs> excuse me maybe i'll do it for a whole quarter right 
best team at the end of the quarter wins this. All right, now it's a new quarter. I'm going to shake up the teams. So now I'm going to put the lowest performing salesperson with the highest performing accountant and the middle performing HR, and I'm going to just shake it all up and re- redo it to you know, just see what happens and really get everybody working with everybody else. And then maybe after like a year of doing this, I'm going to cut it off and go, all right, cool. Now let's all work together to take down this other company that's across the, across the, the, the street or the city or whatever across town. And now we're going to all work together because we all know each other's jobs. We all know how each other could perform. We all know each other real well. Let's you let's all collaborate together and work to take down this other competitor and boom, just like that, you've you've taken it from competition to collaboration to now you're competing in a larger scale against a different company. Could not have said it better myself, my friend. Yep. I like it. I like it. Uh, until next time, I'm Austin. I can't believe you're doing that. I can't believe this. I can't. What? 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 Listeners, listeners, pay attention. Why, Austin, with all this collaborating effort. Oh, oh, oh. Would you collaborate your humidor with a single, a five, or would you buy a box? Well, they're all competing for space in my humidor. But (laughs) I would definitely say uh, this cigar is... Buy at least a five pack worthy. I don't know that I would buy a box of this. I'd probably yeah, I would do a five pack, and if I smoked more of them and and really thoroughly enjoyed all five of them some more, I would not be upset if I bought a box of them. But I would buy a five pack to start out with, just so I could have some more to to really smoke. So it's a solid five pack from you, sir. What about you, good sir? Five single box. Uh, this cigar is medium all the way medium it has just the right amount of pepper it finishes off with a creaminess i'm going with a box box a box of guardrails it is box worthy my friend fair enough fair enough i like it i uh like i said i just i have not if i had another one of these to smoke and i smoked it you know with more time to really kind of get into those notes and get into everything uh, I might change this up to a box, but this is right on a, a solid five pack right now for me. I wouldn't be mad. I mean, yeah. I, I would like to try the Maduro version. If I see it, I'll pick it up. Uh, if you see a guardrail, I strongly recommend you picking it up. I'm pretty sure you was going to anyway. Um, for sure. Until next time, I am Dice. And I'm Austin. <laughs> right. And remember, great leaders smoke great cigars. All right. Until next time. Yep. Thank you for listening to Leadership of the Leaf. The comments and opinions expressed by the host and guests does not reflect the opinions of those that broadcast this show, nor does it reflect any of our affiliates.